This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. How y'all doing, though? It's good. Happy Mother's Day again for, for moms. You guys are incredible. Oh, really incredible, even though you're not guys. You gals. You gals are incredible. I love y'all so much. Um, yeah. On Saturday, Gospel Encounter is coming up. I'm, I'm super excited about Gospel Encounter because when I first went to the first Gospel Encounter I went to, it was so formative. Um, God revealed some things that was hitting inside of my heart that was pushed deep down that I didn't even know were issues until... God pulled it out during that time, so I'm super um, excited about it. To, to be intentional to say, I'm just going to set aside an entire day that's just for you, God. Like, this, this, it's just, this is for you. The whole day is your day, Lord. I mean, how many people do that? We give them like a week or two, at, you know, during a week, but then turn around saying this whole day is yours, right? And then to be fellowshipping with people with a like mind that's, that's looking to hear something from God, looking for God to dig into their hearts, and to spend like breakfast, lunch, and dinner together with a bunch of people that's all like crying out to God, right? You know, it's, it's, it's awesome. Even the $40 that we pay though goes to like food and shirt. That's all part of being intentional and saying, this is, this is for you, God. You know, that's all a part of it. You know, taking the time to find childcare is all part of, of, of setting aside that time for God and being really intentional about it. You know, so it's a it's a huge thing. I want to encourage you to if you want to um want to come out. Of course, there'll be sign-ups outside. You can see me, but there'll also be sign-ups outside with with that. I want to encourage you. If you want to come out, you should. It's a really big deal. Uh, that being said, we'll be in Titus chapter three, verses one through seven. So if you stand, I'll read. Okay. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, and to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, Slaves to the various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Father, we thank you this morning for your word, Lord. We thank you for the deep work that you're doing inside of our lives. We thank you for this journey that you've been taking us through in the book of Titus, Lord. We thank you for 
planning ahead of time that we would be spending time today diving into your, your word, Lord. And I ask that you will sink your word deep into our hearts today, Lord. I ask that you will water it and that you will cause it to bear fruit, Lord. This is your service and your time, Lord. Holy Spirit, we pray that you will have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I so I'm loving this, this journey through the book of Titus. God has been digging in like really, really deep. And I love the way that we, we just, we'll spend time through books and just pull it apart and just let God do the work that he's doing. And it's interesting when he, he's talking to, to Titus about the work that they're doing in Crete. And he's giving them instruction on how to keep things going. And he starts off in, in, in chapter 3, he starts off with reminded them. Yeah. He starts off with remind them. The word remind means to call to mind what is already known. He starts off reminding them, calling to mind what's already known. He's not saying come teach them something new, but remind them of something that was already taught to them. Most of our walk in Christ, the Holy Spirit is reminding us about what we've already learned. You have like a little bit of this where you're getting some new stuff, right? But most of it is reminding us of that stuff, that really core important stuff. That's what most of it is all about. So many times we, we hear somebody preaching, we're reading a book, and we're like, I want to find something brand new. And you're looking for something new, you're looking for something new, we're looking for something new. And God is like, man, you need to be reminded of what you've already been learning because you've already strayed away. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, remind them of this yeah. thing. We need this constantly because we're constantly, yeah. and we need God to... <clears throat> Over and over and over again, because without that reminding, we would just. So he starts off, remind them. And this, this is going to be what's continuously happening, reminding and reminding and reminding of the gospel, reminding what we've been saved from, reminding about these big and weighty truths, because our hearts keep straying away. I remember I had this car, and, and the, the alignment was off, and every time I took my hand off the steering wheel, it would just start to veer off a little bit, you know, and I had to put my hand back on the steering wheel and get it back, and, and, that's, <laughs> and that's what God keeps doing with us, reminding you of the path that you're supposed to be on, because you just gradually start to drift. So he says, remind them. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, and to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. That's verses 1 and 2. The whole reason why he goes to verses 3 through 7 is because of the challenge of walking out verses 1 and 2. Remind them. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authority. That's that S word. That S word is like almost like a curse word to people. Like, what did you, did you say? Submission to rulers and authorities. This pertains to our attitude and conduct in regard to secular government. 
Now, for a lot of us, when, we, when you hear this, be submissive to rulers and authority. Be submissive to secular government. Be submissive to, to, to... A lot of us start hearing stuff like this, and we start to check out. We start looking at the political state of the country. We're looking at the people that's, that's running for president. We're looking for... At, and how we, we see unjust government officials doing things wrongly. We're looking at the abuse of power of people that are in positions of authority. And then the whole thought of submitting to rulers and authority can start to feel oppressive if those rulers and authorities aren't doing what they should be doing, aren't lifting the people up, aren't genuinely being there for the people. The idea of submitting to them now becomes sort of nauseating. And you can read this text and we start to feel like these verses don't connect to what we've experienced personally or what we've seen on TV and social media at the hand of government authority figures. We start, well, Paul don't understand what we're going through right here, right now. And I want to remind us the context in which he's even writing something like this. The Roman government was, it was, was the government that the early church was, was thriving under. And the Roman government was not, not only thoroughly pagan and morally corrupt, but it was also extremely oppressive, unjust, and extremely brutal. This is the government that's, that's, that's persecuting him while he's writing this thing out, I mean, like, they invented killing people on crosses and hanging them up there, right? But this is the government that's in play while Paul is writing, submit. The very people that are persecuting them and Paul is writing, submit. We got to remember, that's the backdrop, that's the context here. He's not aloof of what's going on. The Christian's obligation to respect and obey human government does not rest on it being democratic or republican or even just government, but solely on its being God's ordained means by which human society is regulated. This is why he's, he's reminding them, he's already talked to them about this. If you've been trekking with us, we've already covered God and his stand on, on government and why government is there. Because without government, people wow out. Right? So you need some people to get people back in check, right? But what tr- our trust is in God. Paul, is, Paul is, is saying that the Cretan believers and us as well can obey this instruction because God is sovereign and all government belongs to him. This is why Paul is, is, is saying this, because he's trying to remind them of this reality. Regardless of how things look, regardless of how crazy things are, regardless of what you've seen on YouTube, regardless of what you've seen on, on, on Facebook and what you've seen on World Star, things have not spun out of control of God's hands. All right, all right. He's still completely in control, 100%, not even a little bit out of control. We need to see authority over us not acting on their own, but as instruments in the hand of a sovereign God. 
And if we look at people as acting on their own, we'll eventually become bitter. That's what eventually happened. I've, I've been, I got to a point in time where I've had some experiences. And I got to a point where I became bitter with police officers. Like, I didn't like them. Because I had some, some, some experiences that made me think, man. And I just started writing police officers off. It became hard for me. I became nervous when I seen one. But if we can see them as acting as God allows them, then we see a sovereign God who is indeed just, despite what things look like, because his view on things are much more bigger than our views on things. He sees things way past that moment in time that you're going through, and and nothing happens that he doesn't allow to happen. Our thing is thinking that if if it didn't feel good at that time and moment, that he didn't allow it. But having the the mindset that when you're looking at them, you're not just looking at what they do and what they don't do. You're looking at who's in complete control regardless of how things look right here, right now. A beautiful example of this is found in the life of Joseph. His brothers consistently mistreated him. Now, his brother was authoritative figures to him. Even though those same brothers eventually sold him and did mad horrible things to him. But Joseph's perspective on what happened with his brothers is the thing that we want to look at. In Genesis, he says to them, And as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. He said, you may have meant evil, but what I'm looking at is not you. I'm looking at the God who's in control of you that chose to allow it to happen. You may have meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That's where my hope is at. Regardless of how things look. We got to keep in mind here, Paul is talking and he's talking to believers, right? He's talking to believers, and he's talking about the sovereign God, a God who, who doesn't need governments to be submitted to him for him to still be sovereignly in control. He doesn't need the government to claim him as God for him to still be God. He doesn't need governments to turn around and say, I'm going to do what I, wanna, what I want you to do for him to still say, I'm going to have you do what I want you to do. And I'm going to allow this to happen for this particular purpose. Again, he's talking to Christians, and for for the Christian, we can trust that the good and bad work together for the good of those that are in Christ. We know this. This is what happens for us. Even if he allows bad to happen, that bad still works together for the good. And I don't have to see how it does. I have to trust that it does because of the good God that chose to allow it to happen. So we're not submitting to the personality and behavior of these authorities, but instead the sovereign rule of a God regarding these authorities. This is what it looks like. That's what's going on here. God completely in control. 
You know, on the other hand, it's all about what God wants, what God is doing. On the other hand, if submitting ourselves results in performing some kind of action that contradicts the Bible, clearly that's not what God is calling us to submit to. He wants us to submit to him. And there's examples of that in Scripture. The Hebrew boys, there's examples of that where, where things that, that government was trying to force them to do clearly was against God in and of itself. So he calls us to submit, to be obedient. And to be ready. Let me read that. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, and then to be ready for every good work. Hmm. To submit, be obedient, and be ready. Ready for what? Every good work. He's anticipating interaction with their current broken, unjust, and oppressive system of government authorities. And he's saying God is still in complete control. Trust God and be ready to serve him in the midst of that. Be ready. What he's, what he's going towards here is we're not just submitting for just for the sake of submitting. You're submitting with a missional mindset here. Be ready for what? Every good work. How you're going to walk this thing out? Be ready. So you're submitting is a missional act to God, your own mission. So it goes on. Don't speak evil of those in authority. Why? Because I trust God and I'm on a mission. Avoid senseless quarreling with those in authority. Why? Because I trust God and I'm on mission. Come on. Come on. Then he says to be gentle. And that stood out to me. Why? Because gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. So he's calling them now to be submissive intentionally, to be missional and spiritual. Which makes sense because there's no way to live on mission without relying on the fruits of the Spirit. It's more than just, just giving in. He's calling them to, to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. Trust the Spirit of God regardless of what you see going on here. Be very intentional. Be ready to walk these things out. And, and if, don't forget the fruit of the Spirit, gentleness. He's going somewhere with it. But I'm loving it because he starts off talking to how they should respond to authorities. Telling them to, to be obedient, to be submissive, to be gentle. Telling them to be intentional, to be missional minded, and walk in the spirit. And after he spends his time talking about how we should respond to those in authority, he stretches it out 
to not just them, but everyone. He follows it up with, show perfect courtesy towards all people. He doesn't stop there. It wasn't just about the authorities. He's saying, yeah, with them, do this. There's an ongoing issue, but not just with them, with everyone. Show perfect courtesy towards all people. And yeah, I, I get it. I get it. The problem isn't submitting and treating people with courtesy in and of itself, but instead, the problem is the hearts of the people who are being called to live this out with. We start to withhold things because, because people that abuse authority, because people that take advantage of others. You don't want to submit to someone that you're afraid will take advantage of you. We haven't seen people live this thing outright. So the idea of just submitting becomes very, very hard. Walking this thing out with people we feel don't deserve courtesy because they don't give courtesy. So we feel they deserve wrath instead. Uppercuts and elbows. Right. That's, that's me, right? Couple of headlocks and... But Paul knows that this is a challenge and that's why he gives verses 3 to 7 to give perspective to why we should live out verses 1 and 2 and what the mind should be behind living out verses 1 and 2. He understands the challenges. The same way the sovereign God who has us going through this right here, right now, understand the challenges of our time and it still applies. So in order to give them context and how and why they should live this out, he reminds us in verse 3 that the heart of their issues was also the heart of our issues, which allows us to see deeper than the surface issues. We can see what's really going on here. Verse 3, for we ourselves was once Foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. That's what we really are rebelling against. We're rebelling against foolish hearts of people. We're rebelling against people that are disobedient to our sovereign God. We're rebelling against people that have been led astray and deceived. We're rebelling against the obvious spiritual slavery of others. And Paul is reminding us about us. But we ourselves was once slaves. But then in Christ, we're free though, right? Christ has made us free, but the problem is that we often still live as slaves. So in him reminding us about what we've been delivered from, it also brings to a reality that by the same time, we still act like we haven't been delivered from. In our thinking, in the thoughts that happen and generate inside of our mind, so many foolish things. Like if you take the time to review some of the thoughts that have gone through your mind, I'm sure I'm not the only one who will be like, yeah, that was foolish, that was foolish. That. Wow, <laughs> foolish, right? 
foolish and led astray. Led astray, it means deceived. So, and our thinking, our thinking is foolish and our thinking is deceiving us, deceived, led astray, and in our behavior, disobedient and enslaved. So when we say disobedient, we mean not submitted to the rule and reign of Christ in our hearts. So the problem is our thinking and our behavior. And in effect, we become both the culprits and the victims. Culprits because we're the ones who are foolish and disobedient. Victims because we're also the ones who are deceived and enslaved. How this works is like this. Our individual choices that we've created creates a a collective culture that deceives us. The choices that we constantly make creates this collective culture that's constantly lying to us, constantly leading us astray, constantly deceiving us of what really is true. This isn't that bad. It'll be okay. I'll switch it up next week. A culture, though. We're not just talking about one thought or two thoughts. A culture of thoughts that surrounds us, that collectively lies to us. And our choices that have created patterns of personal behavior that enslave us. So you have thoughts and thoughts, a culture of thoughts lying to you, then then the pattern of behaviors that now you're now enslaved to, and we're trapped by our habits. And here's the lie. You just need a little bit of help. You just need Jesus to stretch his arm out just a little bit to help pull you in some. The lie is that you just need a little bit of help, bro, you don't. You need complete rescue. You need God not to stick his hand out to sort of pull you in. You need him to jump in the water, wrap his arms around you, and drag you out. That's what you need here. This is one of the Cray song, Killer, and he, he says, I ain't leaving here unless somebody save me. That's the reality of it. I'm caught up and I'm stuck. I, don't, I need way more than help. I need to be completely rescued. Yes. I don't need a helping hand. I'm not, I don't need, don't meet me halfway. Because the halfway lies that the other half is my strength. Please just rescue me. Yep. But outside of God, who we are is the rest of that verse Passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one, uh, one another. Well, most people won't use that to describe themselves. I ain't no hater. I'm not passing my days in malice and envy, but that's still part of the lie, though. Your part of the lie tells you it has to go to the extreme for you to consider yourself that, and I haven't done the most extreme things. 
But the reality of it, true love is only found in God, only found by his spirit living inside of you and stuff. And it isn't a gray area. So if it isn't true love, if it isn't true gospel love, if the God of, of creation isn't living and working in you and through you, then what else is going on here? Regardless of what you may emotionally think it is. True love is only found in Christ, and it's only demonstrated through the Spirit. So outside of the work of the Spirit, that's us passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. I love four, but. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, but. This verse is talking about Christ himself, Christ, the goodness of God, Christ, the loving kindness of God, when the goodness and loving kindness of God appeared. His loving kindness was displayed to us by the grace he offered to us while we ourselves were completely undeserving, just like the people he's calling us to walk this out with in verses 1 and 2. Completely undeserving. That's why he's kind. That's why he's good. Because I didn't deserve it. See, we'll, we'll never truly see how good and how kind God really is until we see how raggedy and jacked up and broken we really are. You'll never realize it. I remember being young and I was talking to somebody about the walls of my house. I'm like, yeah, the walls of my house are white. And stuff. He's like, are they really? I'm like, yeah, they're white. And then he pulled out a piece of paper and he put it up against the wall. And I was like, they're 10. Yeah, they But I thought it was white. Nah, it's off-white. That paper was white, but... But that's us compared to God when we start to really see us compared to the light of a good God, compared to what we was created to be. Listen, we're jacked up. Hating on others and hating and malice and, and envy. And only in that light do we turn and we see how good God really is, how undeserving I really am, and how kind he is. Verse 5, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. That's beautiful because he calls us to be ready. Paul is talking to us, he says, be ready for good works with the mindset that it's not the work that saves us, but the mercy of God despite us. He did it because of who he is despite us, and we do it because of who he is despite them and us. This is what we're doing. We're walking out, allowing the, the Savior to walk through us. Verse 5 continues, it says, By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. 
this word regeneration here, think of the word Genesis again, or new world. Genesis again, the beginning again, starting over, new creation, new world, hitting the restart button and starting something different. It's all about union with Christ. God remaking us in the image and likeness of his son as part of the new creation. The washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit is all about living in the new creation now. That's what it's about. That we start walking in this right now. We start living in it right now. Then seven. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Justified by his grace. The band can come now. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Justified by his grace. I want to spend some time to make sure we understand this word justified. I don't want to assume everyone gets it. Justified is a legal term meaning to be declared right. The heart of it is, is a legal proceeding. So imagine yourself in a courtroom and the charges against you were you were foolish, disobedient, things you did while you were deceived and enslaved, malicious, envious, hated and hating others. And then they started bringing up all the evidence. They started bringing up all the YouTube videos, all the World Star videos. They started bringing up all the different testimonies of all the different people throughout your life. And you're guilty without doubt. There's no way getting around it. You start thinking, I'm probably a little bit guilty. And then when the evidence is presented, you're like, wow, there's no hope. That's what you start thinking. Then the loving kindness of God appears in the form of his son right there in the courtroom. The penalty is handed out and his death, and he takes the penalty for you. Now, they can't charge you again for that particular crime. You're now right standing with the court now. Penalty has been given out. And you stand in right standing. It's been absorbed already. That's justification. The believer is made right with God through his grace, not our works. Saved from the punishment of our sins. It's important to continue to keep in mind that we're saved from something for something. Not just saved for the sake of being saved. We're saved from something for something. It's like saving money for a vacation. You take it aside so that it doesn't get spent up on Mickey D's and other stupid stuff. You're saving it from something. But you're saving it with the hope of devoting it to something. Seven, it says, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Yes. 
Eternal life, it means life of the coming age. Life of the kingdom of God to come. We're not just saved from this world. We're saved for that world. Where the kingdom of God is reigning and it's beautiful. And people are just drenched in the glory of God. This is what it makes, makes it possible to live out verses 1 and 2. That reality. We live as heirs to the kingdom of God, looking toward the hope of eternal life. This is what Paul is conveying. And this is why Paul knows it's possible to live out verses 1 and 2. Because of the newness that comes through redemption, through salvation, through giving our lives to Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning, Lord. I thank you for your goodness, Lord. I thank you for the fact that it's by your grace that you've called us to live for you, Lord. I thank you for pouring your spirit out so that we would have ample amounts of you to trust in, that you would be everything that we need, Lord. Father, I pray that you will open up hearts and open our minds today to receive you. The God that has poured himself out for us and still calls us to good works as a side effect of justification. I ask that you will impact our hearts deeply, Lord, that you would allow your word to prick where it needs to be pricked. Don't let us sit and ignore you, Lord. As that you'll continue to do a work in the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So now we want to do communion. First of all, communion is for the believer. That person that has given their life to God. That has said, Lord, you are my God. That knows that you're, you're there for me and you're fellowshipping with him, and you're eating with him, and you're eating with the saints of old and the saints to come, and you're all are eating of the bread that represents his body broken, and you're drinking of the cup of the juice that represents his blood that flows for us. You realize these truths. You know that God has rescued you, and you want to fellowship with him today. But for some of us, the thought of justification is ringing inside of your heart. For some of us, the bondage that we've been in is sticking out inside of our heads. We want Christ, but these things are ringing out to us. For you, there'll be a couple of people over here that's willing to pray with you and share the gospel with you and lead you to the throne so that this is for you too. So if, that's, if you're that person and you're saying, man, I need prayer today. I need to confess something to somebody. I need God more than ever, but I need somebody else praying with me. There'll be a couple of people that's be willing to pray with you today and then lead you in communion. For everyone else, the tables are open. You can come up, take your cup, pray with one another, pray with family. 
Then we'll worship our great God together. Tables are open. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.